turn to you folks. We are back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we will not quite finish it up today, but we'll cover uh, down to verse 8, verses 4 through 8 there. So it's kind of my plan, Lord willing, to be one more week in chapter 5, and then like I said, we'll go through uh, probably probably two weeks it would take us to do this, uh, to go through and do a topical study of why we would believe in a premillennial, pre-tribulational rapture, and uh, just provide some biblical evidence there that may be a help to you if you are struggling with uh, showing that to someone or defending that or maybe even believing it yourself. So let's go ahead and open an order of prayer, and we'll begin. Father, we thank you for this uh, time in your word. We thank you, Lord, for uh, the precious scriptures and the encouragement and truth that they offer. And I pray that you'd help us to understand and apply what we read this morning, that it might change us practically and make us better servants for you. In Jesus' name we pray and ask for your help this morning, Lord. Amen. All right. So we are uh, in your book. In the outline, we are in the responsibility because of the day of the Lord, the responsibility that you and I have as believers. And we'll look this morning at the Thessalonians' condition in verses 4 and 5. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 4. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. So it's important to note, right as we begin here, that Paul, the Holy Spirit, makes a difference between the they and the them of verses 1 through 3 versus the ye and the we of verses 4 and 5. So he's making a distinction in his personal pronouns. We were dealing, first of all, with the lost, those outside of Christ, and the sudden fear and the sudden desolation that will come upon them. Remember, we looked at that word, come upon them, as the idea of suddenly standing over someone in surprise and in power and overcoming power. And so he says, but you, and so he makes a distinction, but, contrasting conjunction, but, on the other hand, you are not in darkness. So this would just very simply be some biblical evidence that, hey, you and I as believers are deliver, delivered from this tribulation period that will come upon the world. Okay? Uh, this doesn't necessarily, in these two verses, reinforce a pre-tribulational rapture, but there are other evidences that do. But this would strongly confirm that, hey, we're not going to face those things because there's a difference between children of darkness and children of light. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8 with me, if you would. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. We're going to just kind of go through some verses here in the New Testament that show you and me how we have been transferred out of this kingdom of darkness uh, into the kingdom of light through faith in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5, verse 8. And I want to focus more on the positional reality. We'll come back and we'll talk about the practical reality here shortly, the responsibility that you and I have because we are children of light. But first of all, I want to just really hone in on the fact that we are positionally children of light. For ye were sometimes darkness. Now that's every man. As soon as you're born, you're in darkness. Um, they that wander out of the way of understanding shall remain in the congregation of the dead. You don't have to do anything to be there except be born. 
For you were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. But notice we're light not uh, through some intrinsic goodness. We are only light in the Lord. And that's an important prepositional phrase. And so that would shoot down, uh, you know, every man is born with some divine light, some spark of divine human goodness. And it is... uh, uh, it necessitates to bring that out through education and through a better environment and through um, more understanding of, of positivity. And ver- no, we're only light in the Lord. You can put a man in the middle of a garden. He was in the middle of a garden, surrounded by all kinds of good things, right? And uh, he sinned. And um, reminds me of a meme that was going around on the ship when I was on the boat. And uh, it went something like it, it had a, <laughs> it had a liberal versus a conservative, and in, and uh, this guy met a, a guy in a dark alley with a knife, and this and it said, "What should you do?" And there was a liberal answer, and there was a conservative answer. Um, the liberal answer said, "Why are we in a dark alley to begin with? And and why does the man have a knife? And how come there's no flowers around? And and uh, this probably wouldn't happen if we had more education." And and then the liberal answer was, "What would you do?" And it was boom, 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 boom. Anyway, uh, <laughs> we'll move on. So uh, Ephesians chapter five verse eight. Look at chapter five verse fourteen as well. Wherefore he saith, "Awake." Thou that sleepest, and that's a command, but something that you and I couldn't obey if God didn't make it possible through Jesus Christ. Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. The Spirit of Christ moves into our souls when we put our faith in him, and he changes my ability. He gives me the ability to think with the mind of God. I'm not God, that's not what I'm saying, but he has, gives me the ability now to think the way he would want me to think and to desire the things he would want me to desire. Uh, look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. This verse really emphasizes how uh, this is not of me, but is a work of God. Verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet, or brought us up to, um, made us able to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. What do you do when you translate something? Let's say when you translate the scriptures. You go from some Hebrew characters, if you're in the Old Testament, something that um, a non-Hebrew has no clue of understanding, of what is this, I don't understand, it's just a bunch of foreign-looking oriental characters, you take that and you translate it. You, may, you take its meaning and you put it into the words now that you can understand and that you can speak. Okay, so what God did was he took us from one area that was uh, abominable and wicked and he translated us into another area. Now we are light in the Lord. And uh, because of that, we are to walk as children of light. He translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Literally, the, the phrase would be the son of his love. What an amazing thing there to consider. So we are made children of light in Jesus Christ. And so Paul makes this differentiation in his personal pronouns. Uh, Notice that this truth is not dependent upon my good conduct after salvation. This is something that happens when I put my faith in Christ and he saves me. In your English uh, Bible, you will find this phrase five times. I want to look at all five occurrences of it. Look at Acts chapter 20, verse 32, if you would, please. 
it is almost exactly the same Greek phrase translated, though there is a, a, a slight change in the Hebrews example. We won't get into all that, but uh, this is really an encouraging phrase in your Bible. And if you are so inclined to underline or highlight, I would recommend you do that on these verses. Acts chapter 20, verse 32. Paul says, And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all, here it is, them which are sanctified. In, the, uh, in our Greek New Testament, the idea is something that has happened in the past and is good for the present and will be good for the future. Uh, though this is a participle, so there are some slight differences with the meaning of the tense. However, the idea, the basic idea of that remains the same. And so, when I put my faith in Christ, God positionally sanctified me then and brought me up to his standard, but only in Christ, because I'm hid in him and God looks on me and he sees the righteousness of his son. Look at Acts chapter 26, verse 18. Remember, we're examining our condition And then we'll move on to our conduct. But first we're examining our condition. Acts chapter 26 verse 18. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan unto God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins. And inheritance among them which are sanctified. By faith that is in me. Exact same phrase. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. Now, what kind of church was Corinth? Carnal or spiritual predominantly? Carnal. But look how Paul opens his letter to these people, regardless of all the struggles that they faced. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, through the will of God and Sosthenes our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Exact same phrase. And the idea, again, is something that has happened. It is good for the past, the present, and the future. Look at Hebrews chapter 10 in verse 14. Now, the tense of this participle is slightly different but the concept of what we're talking about is exactly the same. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, speaking of the work of Christ. For by one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Now, when it says he has perfected, there is that, that there is a very strong verb, the strongest that the Holy Spirit could use in the Greek language, and it is the idea, again, of something that has unmistakably happened in the past, it's good for the present, and will forever be good for the future. And them which are sanctified, that participle goes right along with the tense of that verb, and it has the exact same idea. Okay, so, God has completed me in Christ Jesus. There isn't a thing that I lack to be able to serve him, or uh, to uh, be pleasing in his sight, because I am in Christ, and this is my beloved son, God said, in whom I am well pleased, speaking of Jesus. Okay? One more example. Jude chapter, or Jude chapter 1. There's only one chapter in Jude. Jude 1, verse 1. 
And if you are looking for a verse that reinforces your eternal security and the fact that you cannot lose that eternal security, this would be an overlooked verse to come to. And I would recommend highlighting this in the Bible. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified, made holy, cleansed is the idea, set apart is the idea, by God the Father and preserved. The idea is to keep something, to guard it, to watch over it. And again, it is the Greek tense that is the absolute strongest. It's something happened back in the past when I trusted Christ. It's good for the present, no matter what I'm going through, in spite of my failures, just, uh, in spite of my faithlessness. And it's something that is good for the future, Amen. regardless. And preserved in Jesus Christ and cult. Now, again, remember, we're, we're examining our condition, and then we'll move on to our conduct. Of all those verses that we looked at, we looked at five separate things that talked about the fact that I am sanctified. How many of those examples did you see where I had to do something to keep that sanctification or to gain it. Zero. In fact, every one of them emphasized it's by God the Father. I'm preserved in Jesus Christ. I'm in Christ. God has done this work. Jesus Christ is the doer of the work. It emphasized, all those things were emphasized. But nothing emphasized something that I have to do to keep this a reality. Okay. And so that has to be the peace of mind. That's why Paul says, you put on that helmet of salvation. Okay, you put on that helmet that preserves your, your mind and enables you to be at peace because it isn't about my faithfulness. Now, faithfulness is important, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but that is, has nothing, there's no perseverance of the saints. Okay? There is no perseverance that keeps my salvation. God's already done the work. I am preserved in Jesus Christ and called. So that's my condition. That is your condition if you are saved. So then Paul moves into the Thessalonians' conduct. Going back to 1 Thessalonians, let me get back there. You're probably already there. Chapter 5. Okay, so verse uh, 6 here. Therefore, he says, because of this, because of this reality, uh, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. So he's not talking about, it wasn't long ago when we looked at sleep and it was speaking of death. Whereas the context here clearly indicates he's speaking of something different and it would be spiritual apathy now. And uh, sleep isn't always used of death in the New Testament. It is, it is sometimes used of spiritual apathy and just not being on guard. And this is indeed one of those instances. And so Paul says, therefore, you know, don't be spiritually apathetic. Not because somehow the tribulation is going to take, come upon you and take you by surprise and you'll get stuck in it. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about having a good example because, hey, if all these things are going to come and we know they are, we need to be an example to a lost world because God's heart heard a tremendous message last night on, on uh, the heart of God and the love of God throughout the Old Testament and the New. God's heart is to love people and to see them saved from the damnation. You know, one of the reasons God gives warnings of damnation in scripture is because he loves us, right? And so he lets us know what's coming so we can avoid it. Whereas the warped, unregenerated mind of man says, well, God is just hateful and vindictive and cruel and always talking about judgment. And that is the perception that 
has been in our minds ever since the Garden of Eden when Satan said to Eve, Yea, hath God said? He's trying to hold out on you. He wants to keep you from having something good. It's amazing how that mind has stuck with us. You know, you and I even struggle with that mind today. When something bad happens, why would God do that to me? And we instantaneously, for a split second, forget every good thing God's ever done for us, including the good that's right there in the middle of the bad situation. And so that mind, that unregenerate man, is still right there with us, alive and well, though he will be for some day forever uh, removed. Anyway, so getting back to the text, Paul says, Therefore, because of these things, because of this positional reality, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Now, at this juncture, if you, again, if you're into highlighting or making notes, underline or highlight the word watch and also highlight it down in verse 10 because it is exactly the same word. Exactly the same word. Wake and watch. And we could do a couple of different things with verse 10, and so I want us to, to be aware that that is the same word, so that we, when we get there, we can properly exegete it and not isogete it, <laughs> which is putting something into its meaning versus taking something out. But let us watch and be sober. Then he gives a, a simile. And think about the, how this works under normal circumstances. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. When do you typically sleep? Well, obviously you sleep at nighttime. Okay? Now remember, the sleepers are the damned, the lost, those outside of Jesus Christ. Whereas the ones who are supposed to be awake are those who are uh, in Jesus Christ. They that sleep, sleep in the night. Well, we're not, he's already told us we're not children of the night. We're children of the day. So it would be completely against nature for me to sleep and act like a a child of the night. Okay, and this is an important concept because when you read through the epistles and Paul says things like, remember, neither fornicators, nor murderers, nor adulterers, nor whoremongers, nor covetous, nor uh, railers shall inherit the kingdom of God. Well, if you just pull that out of context, you could say, well, if I'm any one of those things, then obviously I've lost my salvation. I'm not going to heaven. Well, no, 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 no. Paul's saying, look, why would you do these things? Because none of these people who do these things, like the world does, is going to heaven. So what in the world, do you, what business do you have doing these things is the idea. And so that's the same concept here. They that sleep, they sleep in the night. They be drunken. When people have parties, typically it's at night. Okay? When Satan and his minions are in full force and the power of the prince of the air is, is strong, they are drunken in the night. And so why would you do these things? And the fact that he's warning us of this makes it clear that you and I are capable yeah. of acting like this. See? And that will help you and I understand that you know what we are able to do these things it is a it's a discouraging thing to be brought up in a self-righteous environment where you know you think well I did this I must just be the most horrible person I must have lost my salvation because I've been told for years in my church that Christians don't do these things and can't do these things and I just did it you know That is a discouraging thing because then you have no idea how to deal with it. You've been told, well, Christians don't do this, and they shouldn't. But you've never been told, you are capable, and so am I. Instead, there's just been this self-righteous, well, you ain't going to do this, and I'm never going to do this. You ain't going to ever see your preacher do this. He ain't never going to run off with a secretary. What happens when he does? Well, the guy must not have been saved is always the answer. Well, he might have been. He was just never. First of all, he might not have belonged in the pastorate. Number two, 
he probably wasn't really had a good understanding of the mercy grace of God and his own wicked flesh and was probably number three lifted up in pride well I can guarantee he was lifted up in pride and so unless we understand that I can sleep in the night and I can be drunken in the night if I choose to let the old man have his way when that comes upon me I'm going to be very discouraged and possibly just tank for the Lord because man alive I must have lost my salvation well, you may not have been saved. I'm not saying that's not a possibility, but it's probably more like you were just on a self-righteous path, didn't have a clear picture of yourself and Christ and how much you need him. I've been there. I've been there like, how could I do that? Well, you're a sinner. You're saved, but you're a sinner. Oh, okay. The old man's not dead. Got it. Got it. So they that be drunken are drunken in the night. Sober has the idea of being uh, well-balanced, self-controlled, and in every use in our, uh, of our Greek text, it is in relation to being spiritually alert in every instance, this particular word. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. Uh, Paul commands Timothy, <clears throat> But watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Timothy, be spiritually alert. These are dangerous times. And then 1 Peter, and this is the only other place we see it used, and he uses it three times in um, encouraging the saints that were going through tribulation and hard times. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, there's the word, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Gird up those loins of your mind. Don't be spiritually apathetic. You know, there are plenty of Christians who are physically not lazy, right? And they pride themselves on that. I am not a lazy person. I am a hard worker. I am good at my job. And I do this and I do that. But spiritually, they are as asleep as a hibernating bear. They're not paying attention to their family's needs. They're not in a church, or maybe they're in a church, but they're not paying attention. They're not paying attention to the, the spiritual admonition that their children need. They're not encouraging their children to seek Christ. They're leading them in the direction of the world. And there are some folks who are just spiritually flat out asleep, though they physically they may be very active. And so it's possible uh, to have a mind that is not cinched up and girded up and ready to run that race. Look at uh, chapter 4, verse 7 of First Peter. Chapter 4, verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Hmm, sounds similar to what we're reading there in First Thessalonians. Be ye therefore sober, same word, and watch unto prayer. And then again in chapter 5, verse 8. Uh, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour constantly on the lookout of um, determining who he can destroy. And so uh, be careful because when you and I, you and I first of all are capable of sleeping just like anyone. We're capable of being drunk just like anyone. When we do that, we revert back to our old nature and we're walking in darkness versus walking in light. So we can safely say if someone is spiritually apathetic and just kind of ho-hum about the things of God, that they're walking in darkness, not in light, though they may be saved. 
They are sleeping because that's what people of the darkness do. And so they are choosing to do that. Let us not do that. And so we can safely say that that's a wrong behavior without even wondering, well, maybe I'm being judgmental. No, you're not. You're being biblical. That is a wrong behavior. And so don't let it happen in your life and don't let it happen uh, in the lives of others if you have any say in the matter. But let us who are of the day, there's that contrast again, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love. And we'll come back to this verse um, next week and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. So with the time that we have left, let's just kind of exegete what Paul is saying here. He says, you know what? These are dark times. And there's even darker times coming. We really need to be light for the people around us. We really need to do that. But here's how we're going to do it. We're going to do it by putting on that breastplate. Now, he uses an analogy of armor again. So here's that armor. It protects your heart. It protects your vital organs. It protects that core. Okay, anything penetrates that core, and you're in trouble. If you're in battle, you know, and you get a a cut on your arm, maybe you can use the right arm. Or if you get a cut on your right, maybe you can use the left. Or if you get wounded on the leg, perhaps you can hobble along. But if somebody pierces you with a sword in your core, you're probably done. And so you put on that breastplate, and he uses, instead of in Ephesians, he calls it the breastplate of righteousness, whereas here, he calls it the breastplate of faith and love. Well, what's the whole context of what we've been discussing? Well, we need faith for what's coming. Okay, we need faith to deal with the fact the world's going to get darker and the world is going to be against us and we have to just continue to walk not by sight but by faith. I had this struggle with myself again last night and uh, had talked through some things with Sandra about, you know, I, can't, I told her I can't. There are decisions that are practical and aren't wrong for a moral person who is not saved to do. But I can't do them because I walk by faith, not by sight. And though it's not technically wrong, it is in Christ. Okay. So Paul says, put on that breastplate of faith and love. Because that is how you're going to win people primarily. That, well, that's how you're going to win people. Because true love shares not only God's judgment, but primarily his righteousness. It shares a mixture of both. Look, because God loves you, this is coming. You need to make these choices. And so Paul says, you need that breastplate of faith and love that will make a difference in people. Now we see this example, and I want to go there um, before we wrap up. Go to Romans chapter 13. Here we see this concept uh, just beautifully expounded. This concept of I need to just walk in faith, show love to people, and thereby make a difference in the lives of others. Okay. Now Romans 13 is a hard chapter to swallow in the flesh. Okay, a hard chapter to swallow in the flesh. And there are some who would come to this chapter and say, well, when authority isn't behaving like Romans 13, I can rebel against it. Eh, No, that's not what God's saying. He is listing here in Romans 13 the concept of authority and why he created it. And he doesn't say anywhere in here, well, if it doesn't follow these rules, then do whatever you need to do. That isn't what he says. He just lays out the fact, look, authority is something I ordained. The concept of it is always good because I made it. And here's what I want you to do under authority. And this was written during the time of Nero, when I'm pretty sure that, you know, they of all people had a struggle of, of obeying that authority. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. Okay, there we go. 
God has made all the powers. Not a single person in power that God didn't allow to be there. For whatever reason. The powers that are be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. This is why you and I can't be involved in many of the different movements that are going on today. And I'll leave it at that. Because you would be disobeying Romans 13 and being a, a hurtful testimony to Christ and destroy others in the long run. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. The nature of rulers is that they're not a terror to good works. That's what rule authority isn't supposed to be. Now, if it becomes that, there's guidance in the rest of the scripture to show us how to behave. And by the way, it's always in an attitude of submission and standing for what's right and holding up God and just letting God be in control. That's our option. There's no plan B. <laughs> Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. You can always have a clear conscience toward God by just doing what's good and right and will help people in the long run. Always. Okay. I'm not saying you can't ever defend yourself. I'm not saying there isn't a time to sign a bill or to do something. And I'm not preaching against uh, the 1776 revolution. Did I have my dates right? <laughs> Thank you. I'm not a history buff in that area. If it's not biblical history, I'm lost. Um, I'm not saying, I'm not preaching against that. But understand that we're not a bunch of quote unquote proud boys. And I think you know what I mean. We're not the proud boys. Okay. There's a whole lot wrong with that title. And we're not the Proud Boys, and we have no business with those group of people any more than we have any business with uh, God-haters who are on the opposite side of things. Okay. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, because now you have a reason. He can do wrong, and that's his, that's his problem. But if you do wrong, now you have to be afraid of God and can no longer have a clear conscience. Be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. I have no reason to fear the cops if I'm doing wrong. If the cops come to my house because I'm doing right, that's their problem, not mine. Right? That's their problem, not mine. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. Ah, oh, there it is. Wherefore, uh, for, for this cause, pay ye tribute, also pay your taxes. For they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. By the way, that whole system in Paul's day was totally corrupt, just like it is in our day. But nonetheless, do it. Nevertheless, Peter, lest we should offend them, go to the sea, cast a hook, take up the first fish that cometh up, thou follow, open his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money. Take that, give to them for thee, me and thee. Do you realize that was the temple tax? Jesus had absolutely no business paying the temple tax, neither as a citizen or as the son of God, who was the picture of the temple. Excuse me. So of all the people who shouldn't have had to pay a tax, it was God. And he said, go pay him anyway. So me, yeah, I got no excuse. Um, and by the way, God has always given me that fish with a piece of money inside. And I know he's done the same for you. Now, Here's the verse. This isn't saying don't ever take out a loan, which I'm really not for that, but that's not, you can't prove that from verse 8. Because he says, owe no man anything. That's not money. He's talking about don't owe them the debt of Christian love. Don't, do not withhold from them the love of God, otherwise you are a debtor. 
Paul said, I am a debtor to the Jews and to the Greeks, to the barbarians, to the free, to, to preach Christ, to show them the love of God. So if I behold love from people and don't put on that breastplate of faith and love, now I'm a debtor. But if I show them the love of Christ, I owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth hath fulfilled the law. Then he lists five of the Ten Commandments, which are related to man's conduct toward man. And he says, for this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, Leviticus 19, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And we all know what biblical love is. It's not, I just go along with you and do what you want me to do, and I don't ever tell you things that will hurt your feelings. That's not biblical love. We know what biblical love is, and that's what Paul is saying. You need to give people biblical love, and you have fulfilled God's law. Now he quotes, or now he gives us some verses that talk about throwing off that armor of darkness and putting on that armor of light, and that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, which means you and I can be asleep if we're not careful. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. And it's even nearer now because this was written, what, 2,000 years ago roughly? The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on that armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, as children of the day, not children of the night. And he lifts off some sins that you and I are capable of doing. If we get away from Christ, not in rioting and drunkenness, that's exactly what it sounds like, not in chambering, which is sexual promiscuity, and wantonness, which is lasciviousness. We're capable of all these things. Neither, not in strife and envying. How many times have you seen that in Christian circles and experienced it in your own heart? Paul says, throw all these things off. That's all, that's all armor of darkness. And you're not children of darkness anymore. You're children of the day. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, how do I do that practically? Well, you let the Spirit have control of your life every day. You stay in his word and you get your mind in his word and you get your mind in prayer and you stay there. And you keep your eyes focused on the fact that you walk by faith, not by sight. And though many other folks may be able to do certain things, you cannot because you are a child of Christ. Put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh. Don't put the temptation there so that you're tempted to reach out and grab it. Don't set your flesh up for success. Set it up for failure by keeping the spirit first and foremost in your life. There are some things that I will, just an example, I can set myself up for failure. If I start looking at the news, I'm making provision for the flesh. If I start dwelling in Facebook, I am making provision for my flesh to fail in anger and pride and rebellion. Those are certain things. That's just me. Maybe your provisions are different. Okay, if you struggle with alcohol or something, you go by the bar every day. That could be making provision for the flesh. Um, if you are someone who is quickly loses their temper and you, you hang around a lot of people at work who are temper losers, that's making provision for the flesh. If you let your children behave rambunctiously and it just aggravates you and you never really deal with it, that's making provision for the flesh. There are numerous ways I can make provision for the flesh. Paul says, don't do that. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. Put on that breastplate of faith and love because we have a job to do and we don't want anyone to have to go through the tribulation 
And that's why we're studying these things. Not so we can be smart, but that's so we can be better servants for Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these truths and uh, the glorious doctrines that are here that will change our lives if we grab a hold of them. Lord, I thank you personally for the fact that uh, you forgive and you guide and you direct and you forgive, Lord, when I fall. And when we all fall, we can find forgiveness in you and we can find uh, a right direction and that you give peace and wisdom through the study of the scriptures, through prayer, and you give reassurance. And uh, Lord, we're just grateful. Where would we be without you, Lord? Where would we be without your strength and your wisdom in our lives? We love you and we pray that you would honor and um, uh, that you would be honored and and, uh, that you would encourage us, uh, Lord, in the morning service and that you'd be with pastor and help him preach your word. Help us understand and apply these things in Jesus' name. Amen.